Welcome to the Business of Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the action others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to brianbeers.com to subscribe. Hello, everyone. I'm excited today to bring you Dan Claps. Dan is a serial entrepreneur in the franchise space. He co-founded, scaled, and sold a franchise lead company. He also founded and sold a franchise brokerage company, and he's now on a journey to acquire his next business. I had the honor of being a guest on Dan's podcast, The Franchise Founders, a few weeks ago, and you know, happy to kind of return the favor and get Dan back on mine. So welcome. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to chat, Ryan. Awesome. So to start, how, how did you get started in, in franchising? Let's start like, I don't know, you're 18 years old, you graduated high school. Like, what, What's next? And then how'd you get in franchising? Sure. Oh, wow. Right out of, out of high school. So, uh, I was, you know, urgently excited to start a business. So in college, I started a staffing business, uh, event staffing. So whenever you okay. go to an event where there's t-shirts being handed out or liquor promotions, there's, uh, brand ambassadors or promotional models that mm-hmm. are working that. And so being in college, I knew lots of people that were young and wanted to make money. And so I would find them. And then I would staff them for these events. I had contracts with with the uh, staffing companies, and they never really understood my secret to finding people. But the truth is, was you know at the basement party at you know college, you know, hey, you want to make uh, so find, eighty bucks, eighty bucks tomorrow, and <laughs> yeah, thirty dollars an hour usually, yeah. uh, which in college is great. So did that, um, built it up, thought I had like a business, but I learned that I had a job. It was dependent on me completely. And so, um, learned that I couldn't sell that business. It was just something I had to dissolve. So in my early twenties, um, I started looking into what to do next, which was franchising. Um, I felt like there were systems and I could learn how to run a business better through a franchise. And so I started looking into opportunities and found it to be pretty arduous and time consuming and frankly overwhelming and learned about franchise consulting and business brokerage. And then so in 2014, I became a business broker with Murphy Business and Financial. They're broke, they're franchise for business brokers and got my start there. Somehow became the franchise resale guy in New Jersey. I had a lot of existing businesses that were also a franchise. Mm. And so that became kind of my, uh, my niche. But a lot of times people would inquire on an existing business. And not maybe want to buy that, but they wanted to be a business owner. So I put present them a franchise. Um, through that, at that time, through Murphy, you had a membership to the IFPG, which is a, a broker uh, group. And so started doing franchise consulting in, in 20, like say 15. Loved it, but found myself again up at 8 a.m., calls till 8 p.m. And the business only moved if I was doing it. So I wanted to scale something. And so, uh, in 2016, started career transition leads with my my previous partner and built that business up for the next almost six years, and and then we sold in in May of uh, of this year. Okay, 
And can you t- talk a little bit about what that business did? Like, so I was a lead gen business. So I imagine you found people who were interested searching the internet to buy franchises and send them to brokers. Like, what can you describe the business a little bit? Yeah, what that company does is Career Transition Leads is a lead generation company that finds potential franchise owners and connects those candidates with franchise consultants. So it's a really great service because as a franchise consultant, obviously finding candidates is not easy. So Career Transition Leads helps with that. Specifically for a long time, we just focused on franchise consultants, but over time, the business grew into doing lead generation for franchisors as well. Okay. To find, to send them to franchisors or to find franchisors. How are the franchisors involved? Yeah. So the company does lead generation services for franchise consultants as well as for directly for franchisors. Okay. And what were you, what were some of the like, I don't know, the, the typical client that you found that people who were looking to make that career transition? Was there like a couple of profiles that stood out? Absolutely. I mean, I think the best franchise buyers are, they don't realize they're the best franchise owners. They, they're they in corporate right now. They're a vice president of sales or director of operations. And uh, they've got the aptitude to lead people and manage process. Those are the best franchise candidates, in my opinion, at least for a lot of the emerging brands or the home service related brands. So we would target a lot of, you know, we target a lot of um, executive type people. Okay. And what were some of the qualities that they were looking for? Like the candidate side, like what do you think some of the things that they were really was important to them? Yeah. Well, obviously a strong return on investment, you know, an ability to earn, you know, a solid, uh, in the added 19 solid EBITDA figures, Uh, a business that can run on its own or somewhat on its own where you're managing a manager. Now I always preface that I don't really think there's such thing as like, absentee, right? Yeah. You own a business, you know, it takes yeah. time and energy, but yeah. somewhat that they don't have to be in the day to day. Obviously, top prime markets that are available, you know, to be in, in a great, you know, marketplace. And uh, they look to the leadership team too, right? A founder that they can usher the growth. Yep. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that the whole, I don't know, the, the semi absentee, like, I want to be this executive level, like, I don't know. I think the biggest challenge is like it takes a lot of work to get the plane off the ground. And so like they really got to be in it and learning it and like doing the work to then hire the person to replace them. But then they know what the job entails and they know if they're getting bullshitted or not. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think I think a lot of people struggle with like they want to try and do both their full time job and then the, the business. But then it the less time they invest in the business, the slower it's going to grow to achieve like the ultimate outcome, which is like time and financial freedom. Yeah, I always, I always think of when I would talk to a franchise candidate, you know, there's that saying that give a busy person something to do and they'll get it done. Um, like I think if a franchise candidate, all they want to do is golf and, and fish and they don't want to do anything, then being a business owner probably is not in your DNA, right? It's okay yeah. to not want to paint the houses or hang the roofing if, if you're in that business, but you should want to be growth oriented and, and manage growth and, and yeah. usher growth of your business. So what do you think, like in, in from your maybe your brokerage experience, what holds people back? Like, what do you think is the number one thing that's holding them back from making that from, career transition? Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely fear, um, hands down, right? It's it's blaming the marketplace or the economy or something in your life to stop you from moving forward, which unfortunately usually is rooted in some type of 
and everyone has it. I have it too, but some type of insecurity about that you're not good enough to do it, right? That you're going to fail and you're going to have to mortgage your ha- house and, uh, and you'll be homeless. <laughs> like, yeah, yep. at the deep root, when the truth is most of those things probably will not happen. So how do you, how did you see or how did you help people overcome that, uh, that, that fear or that insecurity? Well, for me, um, it's an exercise that I do in my own life that I would just share with clients. And I think it's very helpful, which is to actually, people don't believe it. Like when I first tell them to do it, but this is what I asked them to do. Put yourself there. So like, imagine you buy this franchise and you, you're, you're making no money whatsoever. You're, you're hemorrhaging money. What happens? Well, maybe you have to sell your home. What happens next? What, you know, and I have them actually go through the most worst case scenario and, ex- and feel it. And then you say, all right, well, what's the probability of that happening? And chances are it's like a 10, 5, 2% chance. Yeah. Um, and then we move to the more the, the positive probability of what it would look like if they succeed. And then they have to decide if they're willing to make a decision based on fear or based on opportunity. And you, know, you have to choose. Yeah, and a lot of times those worst case scenarios are all in their their head. You know, it's fake uh, fake events appearing real, the acronym. Um, and a lot of times, like there, it, there's outs. Like you have outs. It's just a matter of you know at what point are you executing them. And even in the franchise agreement, like there's ways you can negotiate certain things to to get out of agreements. You know, ahead of time. And so I, I don't know. There's a lot of things you could do to prep if you're you know to to overcome all those all those factors. A lot of it's just believing in yourself. Like, are you going to be able to execute this model? All these other people are successful doing it. So why not you? Yeah. I mean, use it as, as fuel. Like, I don't know if you go through this, but I, I have a track record of being a, a solid, you know, business operator, but I still wake up 10% of my day somewhere in the day. I think like, oh man, I'm going to fail and I'm going to be homeless and it's going to be terrible, but I'm going to live for the 90% of the time where I actually feel good and I know I'm doing the right thing. And so. Again, you got to choose. Do you want to live in a fear-based decision or in, you know, yep. that, opportunity. that opportunity decision? Yep. Even we think that now too. Of right, we're at like thirty locations here in you know Midas, and what's us? What's next for us? Is it you know we try to go to sixty? That means we're like getting on plane rides unless we want to spend a, a bunch of money to try to develop locally, which is a, a much higher risk in, in my opinion than just buying existing. Or do we branch off and open up a new concept that's not automotive? That's something else. But then like. We've had a couple other concepts that we've opened from scratch that have been failures uh, financially. But then, you know, what do we learn from those things, right? They weren't good business models. Maybe we didn't have the right people. Maybe we didn't like execute like it was us. But but then should our previous failures hold us back from like an opportunity that we have to, to build up in concurrent another business if we take all those lessons that we learned and, and apply them? And so that's, you know, we're doing the same thing of, of what's, you know, and it's fear, you know, it's fear. Hey, if in, in self-doubt, um, that at a certain point you got to say, whoa, 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 wait, like, like, no, like we can do it. We can take these lessons. We can hire better people. Like we can eat the invest in better people, right? Uh, rather than trying to like sometimes take the you know the lesser road. So yeah, we deal with it too. You know, it's it's interesting. Like being at a, a similar stage of our careers, like you'll we'll probably go through what I was just reading about in a book, um, Enterprise Value, and I'm just looking up the author, Peter Worrell, Enterprise Value. It's uh. It's this book here. Okay. Um, highly recommend it. Okay. It's really about building a, an enterprise. But what they say in the, uh, in the book is that we get to a point as 
people, whether you're a business owner or an executive who's built the life. And in one stage of your life, when you didn't have anything really to lose, typically in your early 20s or mid-20s, yep. you'll take bigger risks for the upside. And then we all get to a point where we have a lot to lose and we make our decisions based on nothing, very very often not to do with a gain, a potential gain, but we'll do a lot more to avoid a potential loss. And it's it's interesting because I look at that, again, when I talked to, you asked, you know, when, when I was yes. a franchise consultant, it was, they were afraid of losing everything that they gained, which absolutely makes sense. Yep. Yeah, and it's like, why are you doing? Even for us, like, like what's the motivation for us to say, "Hey, we want to, we want to grow"? And if it's like to make more money, is it to like, is it ego? Is it like, uh, because we just think we can, right? And that we have this skill set, and like, are we, are we limiting ourselves because of this fear, right? Like, do we have the ability to to employ more people, like provide a better service, right? There's like things that obviously we're good operators, like, like we we create good in the world and what we do. You know, anybody does who runs a good good business. Um, so like then I think are we like you know are we holding that back right um, because of our own fear and ego and all this stuff so but it's trying to balance of what do you want and why do you why do you want it and is it is it worth it too like is it worth for us getting on a plane like being plane ride away markets versus you know trying to find something else locally that we can grow like and so just trying to figure out what like what's the true motive voter why are you trying to do it and then you know is that the best path. Or is there an easier, quicker, less resistant path to get to the same end result? So I think it applies to whatever stage you're at. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think at the end of the day, like you're probably at a point and, you know, money, I think we all learn that money is only a small motivator. I have friends that have sold their businesses and, and don't have to work. And they realize that like without meaning, life is, yeah, you know, boring. <laughs> Yeah, right. So it's like, what's really motivating you? Like for me, I enjoy building a company. I, I've come to, I've learned that money is, is secondary to me, which I guess is easier said than like, there were times where I definitely needed money more and maybe I would feel differently. But I do think in life, when you look back, building something special is, um, is, is what should motivate you. And I think of it when I was a consultant again, like if someone came to me saying, I just care about money, show me the bottom line. I don't care about employees or anything else. They're not a good candidate. They're not a good franchise owner. You have to be motivated by more than money. Yeah. And it's the value you're creating by helping people. Like just in general, the more value you create, whatever you do in life, the more money you will make. Like you look at guys who build apartment buildings and these big developers, like they make a ton of money because they create, they take dirt and sticks and stones and they build like, you know, a, a beautiful building. And like, and so like it's all about value creation. So not necessarily profit first it's value first and then profit comes uh in direct correlation to the value you create that's that's a good point though yeah someone's totally motivated motivated i've talked to i've talked to this guy it's like oh, i want to make x hundred thousand dollars and it's like and i want it from day one it's like well that's not gonna happen like <laughs> you yeah. know unless you get to like way overpay like uh it's just it's not gonna happen so i don't even think it happens then i mean I- i'll tell you from my own lesson that i just learned and, you know, which was, you know, I've, I've been a scrappy entrepreneur since I was 18, just do whatever it takes to make it happen. And then starting my next business, I tried to have more of a hands-off approach. And I realized that nobody wants to work for someone that isn't in the day-to-day with them. Right. And so like, I'm not saying you have to be in the day-to-day, meaning you're sweeping the floors, but like, you have to be engaged. You have to be, yeah. you know, 
motivated to help your team. And really, at, at the end of the day, as a business owner, you work for your employees. Like you're their leader. You're there to serve them, to help them win. And I think people either know that you have that mindset or they can tell that you don't. Yep. So transitioning a little bit, I want to talk about maybe new, emerging versus legacy brands. So you have a lot of experience working, I think, with with emerging brands, you know, possibly creating one yourself, you know, down in, in the future. And so what are some of the... There's lots of brands that come up new every year, right? And then there's lots of ones that come new and then 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 fail. They fail to reach whatever that critical mass number is to be successful. And so what are some of the traits that somebody should look into to consider an emerging brand? Well, I think if you're going to go into an emerging brand, it's not for everyone. Some people do fit in a much more established franchise system. That's okay. But in my experience, the beauty of working with an emerging brand is the fact that you get to be part of something and actually contribute more to the growth. Um, I think back to a candidate of mine or of our companies that bought, uh, shout out to my friend, Nick Lopez, line painting, bought multiple locations of line painting. And we met up a few months later for lunch in Florida. I was visiting and he, um, he said, yeah, I'm texting with Nick right now. Like we're talking about one of these jobs I'm about to land. And I stopped and I said, wait, 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 you're texting with Nick, the founder of, of line paintings. Like, yeah, we text all the time. And I'm not saying that's like the norm and you know, you're going to buy the franchise and get to text yeah. with the founder. Um, but I explained to him like, you know, that's not normal, right? Like that's not. The reality, if you're part of a 2000 location. Yeah, you're part of Papa John's. You're not texting Papa John asking, uh, talking about pizza ideas. <laughs> right. But like in this yeah. case, again, probably not sustainable, not going to be forever. But the fact that he got to do that and be part of that in the ground level, yeah. I think that's important and special. And also, at the end of the day, it's market, right? Like, you know, you want to get into a business before the prime territories are, are already sold and open. Yep. Yeah, that's what I look at too. It's or a couple things. One, I think is is the relationships with the key people, and especially if you're like you're like if, if we get involved in something, right? We have a decade of experience. Like we have, you know, this, this relatively good sized company. So like we bring a lot of value to a new if it's a new brand that you know just from pulling from our experience that you know, hey, we want to like, we want to help uh, create the franchise community, like establish things, all these best practices that that we can bring. And so, you know, if if we're joining like a new company. Like there's value to us because you know we we want to have an impact there versus yeah we join Papa John's like they don't they're not going to care they have their ways of doing it right you're going to follow their system and that's going to be it uh, versus yeah I think in the new the brands you you personally can have an impact and and there's benefits to that right I mean yeah I, I mean the best franchise agreement you're going to get is early in my opinion right obviously yeah. like the franchise yep. agreements can evolve I was just explaining this so yeah I'm, I'm going to be a franchisor in the in the somewhat you know, in the future through a, an established business that we're acquiring and to build it up, improve it, franchise it. But I have friends and family that are interested in, in potentially investing. And I explained to them, look, if you're going to take the risk and you're going to get involved early, then I will absolutely give you some type of, you know, whether it be, you know, Sessions, discounted. Uh, right. And, and some people advise against this, but my, my conversation is with my 10th franchisee is going to be, look, I'm going to be just as, uh, dedicated to you as I was to my first franchisee, but they took the risk. That's why they got, you know, this yeah. special deal. And obviously there's ways to do that properly, but um, yeah. you get better deals sometimes when you're early in. Yeah. If you negotiate it, you ask for it. Like I think a lot of people think the FDD is totally set in stone, but, but in fact, some parts are negotiable. Some parts aren't right. But, but some parts are, and I think it's a lot of, it's just be willing to ask the questions working with an attorney, like, 
just seeing seeing what you can get. Um, like you said, they're, the less units they have, the more flexible they can be. Right. And, and you know, I'll, I'll be clear, like, I'm not talking about like a royalty change yep. or, you know, any material changes. I yep. think on the contrary, I'm talking about like the first for me, the first yeah. could be a bigger ter- It could be a bigger territory, right? If it's territory based, right? There's some flexibility with that in there. Yeah. And, but what I will say is on, on the, on the contrary, when a brand is, is growing properly, I, I don't think there should be too many changes, you know, to the agree. I know for me, I'm, I'm not going to change much after those first ones. Yeah. Um, Cause that, that was always, that was always a big part of my time as a consultant was explaining, look, here's where you can negotiate, like you said, territory size, et cetera. But keep in mind, this has to be a uniform business model that could be executed thousands of times or hundreds of times across the country. So yeah. you really can't change too much. Yeah. And if they're wheeling and dealing and all these different things. Um, yeah. For us, it was territory size. We were able to negotiate. And some of the, the, the big one for me is, 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 you want to shut it down because it's not profitable, right? And there's some contracts that say, Midas, we have a 30-day notice. We could just drop the keys and there's nothing we owe. We've been in other deals that, uh, you know, it's a 20-year agreement and you owe them the royalties if you shut it down for five years for 15 years of royal uh, estimated royalties. That could bankrupt you, right? If you're already losing money and now you can't sell the business and now you got to like, you have this liability, right? Then there's other ones that will say, you know, you could close it, but, you know, you owe us 36 months of you know, trailing 36 months of royalties. Like there's, I don't know, I, from my experience, there's ways that you can negotiate some of those on the default because you close it because it's not profitable. Assuming obviously you're paid up, you've done everything right. I think there's some room there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like with what you guys do, I think is exciting to get up in the morning because when, with what you're doing, because you're not only, like I, I was thinking about this since we talked last, you're giving... The franchisor an opportunity to have a transfer instead of a failure. You're giving a franchisee who maybe just you know, got into the wrong business for them or whatever happened. You're giving them a soft landing. You give the employees a place to continue to work. Some of these people may love that company and they were going to lose out on that. Uh, and then the customers, right? I know if I had a, a major, you know, business that I wanted to go to, it sucks when it closes. So while doing all that, you can obviously earn yourselves, you know, nice living, but I think it's pretty cool that you guys are able to give all those people that that release. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, and that's I think sometimes you gotta step back and like think about it holistically too, not just like what the numbers are every day or you know, whatever. There's like this bigger, bigger thing at play, uh, you know, that sometimes we we forget about. So it's it's a good reminder. What about what about some of the other merging brand? Like some of the things I look for is like there's something new about it. Right, they solve a new problem. That there's a new concept. There's a new like mousetrap, a new secret sauce, a new way of doing business. Right, like uh, I don't know. For me, that's like the other part of it. Otherwise, you want a clean franchise. Like there's a ton of maids. Right, let like unless there's like a key differentiator, it becomes kind of this race to the bottom. Um, it's I don't know. I, I think that's one thing I'm looking for too. I don't know your, your thoughts on the brands that you've seen kind of be successful. Is is kind of that? What's the secret sauce? Right. Yeah, I mean. I, I think so. I agree. Obviously, you know, want to have a unique selling proposition, right? That makes you unique. Um, on the, I'm kind of torn, right? Because I also look at like 99% of businesses execution, 1% the idea, right? And so mm-hmm. like, I look back at the time I had in the brokerage side of our business and we didn't do anything different really other than execute in, better than a lot of people did. Um, you know, as, as, as far as executing on our plan. And so 
when I look at businesses, I, I always remember that as a franchisee, you don't need a $10 million business. You don't need the whole country. You need to be able to get into a market and get to the numbers that, you know, that business, you know, it makes sense in. So sometimes I always remember that whatever business you go in, there's market share, right? There's market mm-hmm. share out there, yep. even if you are in an older space. So I think if you could find something that kind of combines both a big space with a lot of market share and a USP, you're golden. Yep. What are some of the things you're looking for when building your your leadership team? All right. So you got this new plan, right? Build this big company. What are some of the key positions and and how are you finding them? Like, what are you looking for? Oh man, I could write a book on this on mistakes. <laughs> when I first started this new business, all I had ability to do was focus on a leadership team. And I read every book you can read on compensation structures and models and all these things. If I were to do it again, I would have actually gone the opposite direction. And when I think back to my first business, that's what we did. And I would do that again, which is start at the bottom, actually. So you don't need a COO. You need an admin. Like if you need someone, get an admin or an operations coordinator. If you, you know, try to hire those bottom rings first, because a lot of the day to day can get taken off at that pay, you know, that salary mm-hmm. range and wait on the COO or that operation. Like for me, I'm a visionary. I need an integrator. I know that about myself. I miss some details here and there, but like hold off a little bit on that. Get your smaller team first and then go for, for that. But if you're asking an org chart, I can definitely talk to it. Yeah. Or just like what are qual- so, so you want to scale a business, right? Or if, if even. Whether it's for you or the supplies, I think pieces of what you say will apply to anybody who's like starting a franchise, they hire the right hand like operator. So for you, I mean, you're, what are you looking for in that operator? So you've decided I need to hire an operator to help me grow my new business, whatever it is. What do you, like, what are you looking for and, and how are you finding the person? Is it your own network? Yeah. Is it recruiters? Is it like, I don't know, how, how are you finding, you know, yeah. building your team? Well, well, when I look at the org chart, I look at, it's like boxes, right? So if you have me as CEO, you've got these uh, multiple boxes, which is sales and marketing in a box, yep, operations in a box, uh, finance in a box, and legal in a box. Now, legal could get outsourced pretty much, right? You don't yep. have that much legal at our size. Um, finance, one of the first hires I would make is a bookkeeper, controller, outsource it. It could be, you know, a thousand bucks a month, but get someone that could just work on your books every single week. Yep. Um, and then obviously sales and marketing, you could probably do one of those if that's your background. For me, the operations person is the most important hire. And so what I've done is create a compensation model where everyone's aligned. There's salary, there's bonus, there's uh, equity that vests. Every part of the model is, is, um, is set up where we share in the wins and we, you know, share in the losses to some degree too. Okay. Can you say what that? Uh, give me an idea what that what that vesting model looks like. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and it goes from experience of of like I'm a top line revenue guy. I'm going to always be focused on yeah. growing Drive sales. Yep, yep, yep. So I need someone that's going to say, "No, <laughs> we're not going to spend money on this and that." And, and I admit that. I know that um, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, right? So um, I wanted a model where everyone is incentivized around profit, not just revenue. Yep. And so we have um, milestones on profit. And some people don't agree with me on this, that you're sharing what your profit is. 
I, I just personally think that if I worked for a company that's doing, you know, a uh, hundred million dollars in EBITDA, I'm not going to them and saying, Hey, I deserve more money, right? It's, it's relevant to the role I'm in. And you, know, you can't just change the amount that you're paid based on the profitability. So I found that people are motivated seeing like that number, the, the, the EBITDA. Um, and there's a great book, The Great Game of Business that talks yep. to this and way of managing. I mean, you've read it. Yeah, it's behind me. Yep. Is it? Yeah, it's back there. Can't say it, but it's back there. I read it years ago. It's, it's pretty good. But I've, I've thoughts on it, but yeah. Yeah. And, and everyone has different, you know, schools of thought on, on that. But anyway, I do it. It's a vesting schedule, a third, a third, a third over three years. Okay. Um, and there's can all kinds to? of theories. Or what's your brackets of how much equity um, can they earn? So- um, I can't give that number okay, just because it's specific, yeah. a little too specific, but I think it, it depends really, right? Like if it's going to be an operating partner, um, that could be as much as 30%, right? If they're putting, especially if they're putting capital in, um, if they're not putting capital, it's going to be a totally different equity structure based on the background experience. And then also my thing is if you're going to take market value, uh, salary, then the equity is going to be almost non-existent or, or very small. Versus they're taking a cut and they have upside. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, it, it, that's the whole point of equity, right? It's equity should be a really good deal for me today and a terrible deal when we go to sell in the sense that like, oh, here's here's that big amount of money, right? Yeah. And it should be a bad deal for you right now. You have to jump in. And so if you're not going to take the risk, you don't get all the reward. And that goes back to alignment around, you know, everyone being, you know, share focus. And this... This comes from like, for me, Brian, like when I looked at staying on at my previous company, I was so impressed by the compensation model that they had for me. It was just so well thought of, you know, to, to keep me motivated. And so I, I think that's half the battle is getting your team set up in a comp model that, that they can win. Yep. So it's something we're working currently on too. And as we continue to build out our leadership team and look at these new ventures, it's, uh, I don't know, something we've kind of always struggled with. Um, at that at that level so uh interesting to to hear different points but i think yeah i think it, it has to be it has to be profit driven at the end of the day if they're you know helping drive sales they're determining investments they're hiring people they're like you know they're really involved they it should should be more than just you know a couple sales driven or even you know gross profit driven people i think people will buy into knowing like i'll give you an example i had an employee my years ago teammate and he um he wanted a raise and it was a really bad time because we're going through a really tough time. And we went out for a beer. And I said, I'm going to tell you something that no one knows. And I don't want you to get scared. But I actually haven't taken a dollar out of this business in six months. Now, granted, I know we're in different situations, right? But like, put that in perspective. I, I literally can't give you a raise right now. But when we get past this time, I think we can, we can reconsider it. That guy was loyal for years after that because it was true, right? And when you do have profits, you know, again, this is my opinion, but you know, you took the the financial risk. You took those sleepless nights, and you know, and, and put your house on the line if you got a loan, right? So, I think it's irrelevant to, I think it's relevant to know that the business is making money, and you should want to work for a business that's making money. Yeah. And for me, a lot of it's like uh, willing to pay for growth. Like I have no problem paying for growth. What I have problem is is paying for like, you know, what's already been established, right? Mm-hmm. So it really depends on what stage you're in. You're buying an existing business. Or you have an existing business and you're adding the leadership team, it's hard to, it's hard for me at least to say, Hey, 
you know, we, you know, we spent 30 years building this thing and here's a big piece of it versus, you know, here's where we're at today and anything you grow it, like from the next level, like you're going to get more of a significant piece of that. Um, because really that's why you're bringing the person on, right? Whoever it is to grow, or even if you're starting a brand new company from scratch, like you have nothing. So a lot of it actually is like, there's a lot of growth. So we're willing to pay a lot in the beginning. So that's, that's kind of like some of my theories on at least how, how I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I think I think there's just so many factors, right? Because it's free to create a, a a healthy working environment. It's free to be kind. It's free to 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 share in the results, right? So you can also, you know, it doesn't always have to all be equity or comp too. Mm. People want to work for a company they like, yep. and that their leader is is uh, is nice to them and, and creates a good work environment and is consistent, right? So there's there's a lot of factors. Um, you know, and I, I had that experience. I had to pivot in these past few months and I had teammates that, you know, candidly, I, I lost some of their, their trust, even though it wasn't something that I intentionally did or, uh, was malicious. Sometimes like in those early stages, you are going to lose some people because, you know, you're not a 50 location business. You're one location and you're going to make mistakes. And so I think it also comes down to the employee. If just like we said, a franchisee who wants to be an emerging brand. Uh, you have to find a teammate that's excited about a baby company where there's going to be all kinds of hiccups. Yep. Yeah. Everything's not going to go perfect. And yep, there's all these problems. And you got to be willing to accept that and, you know, and help find solutions that can help the rest of the system too. Like that's part of the excitement of it. It's like you're, it's this live thing that like you're helping with versus this like elephant that's already established and you're just trying to like get it to go in a direction. Which is exciting too, right? Like that's, that's a whole other type of yep. person. Like, it just depends on where where you're at in uh, you know yep, as a person life and and it's like I, that's why I talk to a lot of people when they ask like they want to find a franchise it's you know the perfect thing for me is like completely different than the perfect thing for you or or this other guy or a- anybody else right it's it's the individual person's skill set desire goals what they're good at and finding something that's the right fit so it's uh, I think that's what's key I if I will touch back on 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 the operating partner or person though for a moment. Because I'll tell you, the biggest finding that I had was they definitely do need to have some level of skin in the game. If they're going to really run, first of all, you can't trust someone for 50 grand a year to run your $5 million business. That's crazy. Yeah. So you do need to pay for the right uh, person. But I also think they need to have some type of skin in the game, whether it's, like I said, a, a lower salary and a much higher uh, bonus structure or the equity, or even if they're an operating partner, they put cash into the business and cash is relevant, right? If you take someone that really doesn't have a ton of cash and they're putting in a fraction of their or a percentage of their, their total cash, that still means a lot to them, yep. right? So it may not have to be as much as you think, but it has to be something where, you know, where they moved, they moved their lot, their fit. There has to be something where they did mm. buy into the vision, at least as a startup, yep. in my opinion. Yeah. And that's great advice. Um, cool. It was great chatting with you today. Where can people, you know, connect with you if they're interested in, you know, learning more? You have your podcast. Like, t- tell me, tell me where where else people can find you. Yeah, best best place to find me is LinkedIn. Just Daniel Claps. I think that, there's only one other Daniel Claps. He's much older than me, so you'll know which one's me. <laughs> that's that's the best way. Is is there? And uh, from there, I push out all kinds of content, so you can find our podcast and and other things like that. Cool. Awesome. Great. Well, I appreciate you coming on and kind of sharing your journey about, you know, franchising. And I'm excited to kind of keep an eye on, on what you guys do next. I think you're going to crush it, whatever, whatever you do. And I'll uh, hopefully have you on uh, in six months or a year to, to talk about that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 
That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't. 